This is the Education Exchange with Paul Peterson. I am the Senior Editor at Education Next. Thank you for joining us. Support for school choice has risen to new heights, according to recent polls. The public is supporting school choice by a margin of two to one or better. Many states are expanding school choice opportunities, and Congress recently passed legislation authorizing another $440 million to help build new charter schools. But the Biden administration is pushing in the opposite direction. The U.S. Department of Education has announced that the new monies authorized by Congress cannot be used to build charter schools unless school districts don't have enough room for more children. Or at least the rule seems to say that. If that's really the case, then it's going to be hard to build new charter schools because enrollments are falling across the country. In Los Angeles, for example, uh, district enrollments fell by about 42% over the past 20 years. And uh, things are getting worse uh, in the time of COVID as uh, in big cities, uh, students are leaving and the parents are sending their kids to private schools or homeschooling them. So if these regulations are, are really going to be implemented uh, as they sound, this is going to have a big effect on, on charter schools. To discuss these questions, I have with me today Patricia Levesque, the chief executive officer of a nonprofit organization known as Excellence in Ed. She previously served as one of Jeb Bush's top education advisors, and she knows the school choice landscape as well as anyone in the business. So thank you, Patricia, for joining me on the Education Exchange. Paul, thank you for having me. Well, before going into this new regulation and all these, these details, why don't you give us a first a big picture view of where are we with charters today? Where, what's, what's the landscape like? Sure. Well, charters are um, an important component of the public education landscape. We have seen uh, tremendous growth uh, since charters were first authorized several years ago, decades ago. Uh, the charter school program that we're talking about today is a federal grant program that states or individual charter schools can apply for. And the funds are primarily used to help new charter schools open or existing charter schools expand. What many people may not realize is that more than $5 billion has been provided through this grant program since the start of the program. It has been one of the main drivers of charter school growth in our country. It is a bipartisan supported program. Uh, red states and blue states access the, the funding in in 2020, Florida, New Jersey, California, and Texas all received grants. Um, the diversity of the students who go to charter school program grant-funded schools is pretty diverse. 60% uh, of the students are low-income, 64% of the students are Black and Hispanic. And, and there's been research that has looked at the performance of charter school program grant schools and found that they have slightly better performance and student outcomes than non-charter school program grant funds. So it's a good program. It's a bipartisan program. And it's been one that has been impactful in ensuring that we have uh, a growing number of charter schools across our country. Well, so this is all good news, but uh, the administration seems to be creating some new 
you know, headaches for the charter movement. So what, what's in these regulations? Well, there's a lot in the regulations. Um, the high level perspective that I would give is that the proposed rules are going to have uh, uh, an impact of limiting the number of charter applicants, both states and charters, and limiting the awards that are issued. And so you have to start from the question of why would an agency propose regulations that are gonna limit applications and limit awards? And I would say uh, one could make the argument that to be in line with the Biden administration's uh, tepid support for charter schools, the goal might be to not spend all the money. And then if they don't spend all the money, they can make a case to Congress to stop funding the program in the future. Well, these are just proposed uh, proposed regulations. Uh, when are they scheduled to go into effect? And can the charter school community do anything to try to alter them? Sure. Great questions. Uh, there is a timeline of April 13th that uh, there is public comment that is uh, people can submit public comment. The agency then has a period of time to respond to that public comment. A really important deadline is September 30th. That's when the money has to be expended. So I think there is a desire uh, to get as many people and states and entities and organizations to submit public comment in order to hopefully slow down the process and to delay the process. And Paul, let me go back to the question you just asked about what, like, what's the real problem with the proposed regulations? There are a lot of things in the regulations that are going to increase paperwork, like potentially require thousands of pages of submissions in order to have a complete application. But there are two things that I think are really important for your audience to understand. And one is the proposed regs require a community impact assessment. And the second thing uh, is a preferencing of applications that have diverse student bodies. So schools that have diverse student bodies. Well, let's take those one at a time. Let's start sure. with, with the first one. Uh, what does this community impact uh, mean? I, I, I read it as saying something like, well, if a school is losing enrollment, which almost every school district is these days, given the, given the, the, the population changes that are occurring and given the fact that people are going to private schools and homeschooling, everybody's losing students. So if, if a district is losing students, can you actually get a funding for the charter schools? Yeah, I think that's a great question. You know, I think when many people hear community impact assessment, that what pops in some people's minds is, well, finding out if the community wants a charter school, if a community actually wants other options. But this is this provision is not based in does the community want a charter or does, uh, are there parents who want to have other options for their kids? Well, is there a waiting list, for example? I know that there are waiting lists by many parents who want to go to a charter school. In Boston, we see this in big time numbers. In New York, we see it in big time numbers. I'm sure it's all over the country. But you're right, it's not based on those things. It is based on public school enrollment. So states that have declining enrollment, right? A California, New Jersey, and New York, they would be impacted. They will not be able to show, uh, they will not be able to meet the community impact assessments. But if you think about it, even at a more granular level, 
you could still have a state like Florida that has growing student uh, enrollment. But if a charter school, an individual charter school was going to locate in a failing school zone, like they wanted to serve students in a failing school zone or an opportunity zone, which by the way, are not necessarily where you have oversubscribed schools, right? Those are not necessarily your high growth, new development areas. They would not qualify because the the area that they want to cite and the students that they want to serve, that area might have a declining student population. Well, you might even say that the, the very places where charters are most needed is where parents are leaving the public school because the public school isn't performing at the level that parents want and need and expect. And so this is really saying, do not build charter schools where they are needed or wanted. You can only build them somewhere else. Exactly. Why would they do this? What is the reason for this? I, again, I go back to, I think they want to limit applications. They want to uh, see a decline in the number of awards given because ultimately the, the program, if the money isn't spent, there is a, um, an ability to make the case that they don't need to fund the program anymore. Congress doesn't need to fund the program. But Paul, let's go the second the second real issue in the regulations has to do with preferencing applicants that have diverse student bodies. Now that sounds really good, right? Having, we, we know economic diversity, racial diversity, those things enhance a, a student experience, but having a provision that preferences a diverse student body actually means that schools that have a mission to just serve low-income students or special needs populations or at-risk students, or they have a mission to actually serve a specific community, these schools will be negatively impacted, right? If you you are an idea or a KIPP and you want to serve kids in an opportunity zone, your whole model is built on really only serving low-income students, well, then you're not an economically diverse school, right? Well, one of the you don't qualify. We, we notice in lots of studies out there is that the charter school impact is more positive for African-American students, for Hispanic students, for students in urban areas, for student, for, for, for people living in, in areas where the public schools are low performing. So those are the places where really they have shown the greatest benefits. And now this this regulation is saying, but don't build the school there. Right. Don't build the school there. And oh, by the way, it doesn't matter what the underlying demographics of the public school system is either, (laughs) right? It it is just completely ignoring um, where there would be demand and completely cutting out schools that just are mission-based to serve a specific community, a specific neighborhood, um, or to give parents of, uh, of kids in an economically depressed area a, a high quality option. They're just, they're not going to be preferenced in the application process and it's highly likely they will not be able to get awards. Well, let's say that um, these regulations go into effect. Will it really make that much difference? After all, states are the ones that have been funding the operations of charter schools. Local school districts is where kids go to school. The federal role in education has always been relatively limited. They only account for about 10% of the money 
do we really need to care about this? Absolutely, we need to care. You're, you're correct that most of the operating funds for charter schools come from the state because the state is the main funder of public school operations. However, in the history of the charter school program, you can see state level policy actually gets changed in order to make a state more competitive to pull down these federal funds in order to provide federal grants to charters within the state to open and expand. And so this fund is, is quite large and it does actually impact and get states to change their policy. So either states are gonna change their policy in order to try to come into compliance or they won't and they won't apply and a case will be made to eliminate the program. So where is the energy coming for this regulation? Is it coming from the local school districts that are losing enrollments and they want to you know, hang on to every last child they possibly can uh, use to get some more state aid? Or is the pressure coming from unions? Or you know, just, just who is the Biden administration responding to here? Uh, well, I, I couldn't speak for the Biden administration. I will just say that from um, outside observations, there are a lot of folks who have been uh, placed in the U.S. Department of Education who are very uh, friendly with the teachers unions or have worked for the teachers union in the past and have expressed animosity toward charter schools. And so I would say they were not successful in getting Congress to change provisions related to the charter school program uh, fund. And so this is their opportunity to do so in regulations and they're taking full advantage of that. Well, are these regulations actually uh, legal? Are they consistent with the law that was passed? I mean, generally speaking, a regulation has to be interpreting the law that was passed by Congress. Is there any opportunity to challenge these provisions in the court? And is there any thinking going on as to what legal options might be available? Uh, I, there is thinking going on, on related to challenging the regulations. I anticipate that there will be a legal challenge, which is why I think the National Alliance for Public Charter Schools and other organizations, including ours, are trying to get as many entities as possible to submit public comments, questioning and pushing back and, and giving uh, feedback to the regulations in order to slow it down. So there is a greater possibility of prevailing in a lawsuit. So uh, th there isn't much time. Uh, is, the, is, the is the time, usually you have to give, you know, two months, I, 60 days or something like that for public comment. Uh, why such a short window for comments? That's a great question. Usually there is, uh, there are conversations with stakeholders before regulations are changed as well. So not only was there no conversation with stakeholders, but a very short window for public comment. Uh, uh, April 13th is the deadline. I would encourage your audience and your listeners that if they can submit public comments, if they can um, encourage their state officials to do so, that they, that they do that. And uh, the National Alliance on Public Charter Schools is doing a great job coordinating these efforts. 
Well, one of the regulations contains a phrase that every application has to show collaboration with at least one traditional public school. So does this mean then that the public schools can simply block the uh, proposals by refusing to cooperate? It does, uh, if you think about it, right? It's, it's like asking um, Amazon to partner with a little bitty mom and pop uh, store. Please collaborate with us so that we can open our store. There is absolutely no incentive, no reason for a school district to do so if they can block a competitor from opening. Well, stepping back from the regulations, what's the situation more broadly with school choice? What's your assessment of how are, uh, are charter schools growing in enrollment uh, more generally in, in the midst of the pandemic, or has that had an impact on charter school growth? And, and, uh, and how about the private sector? What's happening in that area? Could you uh, sort of sure. reflect on that? Absolutely. I, I think, as you said at the beginning, charter school enrollment growth is, uh, is growing. Private school enrollment is growing. Home education uh, enrollment is growing. Online learning, uh, online school uh, enrollment is growing. And in a lot of places, a traditional public school enrollment is declining. And so I think um, from a policy perspective, the 2021 state legislative session was the year of choice. I've been working for more than 20 years in state education policy, and 2021 was the year of choice. There were more policies done on open enrollment, cross-district, you know, intra and inter-district line uh, enrollment with public schools, charter policy, and then private school choice. There were five education savings accounts passed, 14 states that increased or started a new uh, private school traditional voucher or scholarship or tax credit program. Uh, and then the, in 2022, we saw states continue to take action. Idaho that just closed their legislative session codified their Strong Schools, Strong Families program. That was uh, a microgrant program. I, think, I count that as school choice as well as putting money in the hands of parents so that they can make different educational decisions for their child. And so it has been... Um, pretty constant that states are taking action and expanding opportunities for kids. We're seeing it in Georgia. We're seeing it in um, Tennessee. We're seeing it in so many other places, um, dedicated funding for charter schools, increase in funding for the capital outlay needs of, of uh, charter schools. It's really been refreshing to see state policymakers responding to the demands of their constituents. So uh, why do you think this has been the case? Why is uh, two, 2021 the year of choice? Well, why, why was this a breakout year? Because you could say, well, this has been happening gradually for a long period of time. It's just, you know, is it really picking up steam? And if so, why? Uh, it, it has been happening uh, gradually and progressively uh, across the country, but I, I have to... Uh, believe that the the spike in activity is related to the pandemic. It's related to parents having gone through all across the country closures of schools and then um, maybe spotty quality of online 
uh, learning that was implemented. Uh, and parents saw what was going on. They heard what was going on through online learning because they were at home and their child was sitting at the kitchen table or they were not receiving those services at all. Uh, and parents were looking for other options. And in so many places, the actions of the traditional school district as compared to a charter school or a private school that was doing their best to get reopened and or to make sure that online learning was delivered in a high quality fashion. I think parents saw they, that their child was not getting what they needed and they were looking and demanding better opportunities for their kids. Well, will that slow down then after, you know, as the pandemic recedes uh, and, uh, you know, your traditional public school returns to um, full operation, is, is, this, is this just a, a, a one-off or is this a change in, in things? I hope it's not a one-off. I believe that parents have gotten a taste of what it's like to have something different and something that works better for their child. And as more states have adopted policies that will empower more families, I think, I think the trend is only going to increase. Well, maybe that's a one explanation for why you got uh, these new regulations, because that's something different from what the federal government did during the Obama administration and, and certainly during the Trump administration with Betsy DeVos being a full energetic supporter of choice. So this is something new that's coming out of Washington, D.C., wouldn't you say? It is certainly something that's it's disappointing to see because we have had so much bipartisan support for uh, the charter school program. It is disappointing to see this administration uh, kind of uh, to pull back that support and, and really to take action that is, um, I think, designed to help kill the program. All right. Well, listen, uh, thank you very much. Uh, Patricia, for explaining the new regulations and explaining to listeners what they can do about it to, uh, to uh, alter the proposed uh, regulations, though they have to do it very quickly. It's today is April 6th. As we record this, uh, there's not much time left for, uh, for action. So uh, we have to stay tuned. So thank you for joining me on the Education Exchange. Thank you, Paul. Thanks for having me. I have been speaking with Patricia Levesque, Chief Executive Officer of Excellence in Ed, a nonprofit organization committed to school reform. I am Paul Peterson. This is the Education Exchange. Please join me for a new Education Exchange podcast released on the Education X website every Monday at noon Eastern time.